What's going on, everybody? Welcome to an episode of the Breaking the Game podcast. We're going to skip our video today because we today have a very special guest, Mr. David Shepard. Austin, why don't you introduce him to the listeners? Yeah, well, first off, David, thank you for being with us. For anybody who doesn't know, David is the host of the Good Shepherd podcast on YouTube. He's also a producer and on-air talent for XM uh, Radio, the NBA radio on, on Sirius XM. And he's a writer for CBS Sports Radio. How you doing, David? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, awesome. Austin, Stephen, thank you for having me, guys. I yeah, thanks it. for being on the show. So it's been a crazy busy couple of days for you, I'm sure. You know, the, the draft and all these free agency, you know, tweets from Woj every two minutes, it seems like. Yeah, that would, um, be, that would be fair to say. <laughs> absolutely yeah we we were up last night with the draft until about like midnight just in the first round so it was uh we we have it and we have a running article on our website where we you know keep up with the latest transactions and give like analysis and grades and stuff so yeah we've been we've been all over the place as well brother so we understand how it goes oh yeah yeah well i don't need to spend too much time on this but i do want to say that your your job is kind of like the dream job for both Stephen and i i think getting to work for NBA radio. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, we but, love it. So, um, what did you think about the draft last night? Was there any big surprises for uh, in, in your mind, or did you kind of see it going down that way, the way it went down? I thought it was. I thought it kind of happened the way it should have. Um, mm-hmm. I would have taken Weissman first. I think there's too much of an upside. I think I agree. Right. I think uh, what he did in his first game, basically out rebounding the whole starting lineup. And I I know it was against, (laughs) I believe it was like South Carolina state, but he, he just looked like a man amongst boys from day one. And that that's the upside you want to see. I mean, Anthony Edwards is a a heck of a player. Um, Mm. And obviously we know his youth. I mean, he should be a freshman now, but Mm. the reality reality is guys, you talk about an Anthony Edwards who was on a losing team. You know, and that that to mm-hmm. me is troubling. I mean, Ben Simmons, I mean, he didn't exactly bring a winning culture to Philadelphia. Now, granted, his talent can get you to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. No question about that. But then we see the holes. We see the deficiencies when he gets into that second round, you know, of that nature. But look, Patrick Williams going four, I was a little surprised. And I got to tell you, oh, yeah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. Obi Toppin going eight. I think the Knicks better be thinking they're lucky stars. And if you're Spike mm-hmm. Lee, you're sitting to the heavens right now. <laughs> well, how about the Sacramento Kings having Tyrese Halliburton fall into their laps? What do you think about that? I love mm-hmm. it, man. I love it. Tyrese is – I've had a chance to speak to him. He's a great, great kid. He's one of I those love guys his interviews. Who, yeah. You, he's one of those guys you meet and you say, I want that kid on my team. If nothing else, mm-hmm. because I know he is going to be about more than himself. And that's what you want. That's what you want as a rookie. You don't want any rookie coming in thinking they're better than the team. That right. is going to lead mm-hmm. to a lot of tension and stray from day one. Right. I agree. I, and uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead Austin. Go ahead. Okay, I was, I was just, just gonna say. <laughs> sorry, Stephen. I was just gonna say that uh, you know I listened to one interview with uh, Tyrese Halliburton on uh, NBA Radio, and I was just you know gushing about how much I liked the way he you know he carried himself and the way he talked and just his leadership qualities. 
from that standpoint. You know, it's not a lot of, uh, you know, 19, 20 year old kids that are willing to play a role for a team when they think they're, you know, they should be the star. Right. So I was always pretty high on him. Um, so Steven, you were going to say something, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say um, real quick, I like Halliburton a lot, um, David. He was number four on my uh, board overall behind, you know, your typical three that you were hearing about. Okay. Um, with the exception of Edwards, I actually had Edwards at six due to, you know, the effort, the, you know, the way that he interviews too. Like, I don't know if you give a guy like that, you know, the the privilege of being a number one overall pick, you know, the highest amount of money compared to any other rookie coming into the into the league. And thinking that throwing all those like great things at him fixes those kind of like character deficiencies or effort or consistency deficiencies, if you will. But um, I was really high on Halliburton. And when you listen to him interview and you just said that you had him on, so, you know, right. But he kind of gives me a, a Damian Lillard type vibe just be from the leadership, you know, the confidence of himself and his teammates around him, no matter who they are. Like, Do you see any sort of correlation with that? Oh, uh, he's not going to be as good as Damian Lillard. <laughs> well, right. I'm just saying, like the 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 right. personality wise, like the way that he kind of can, you know, talks about himself and his teammates. I saw a little bit of that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. I would uh, um, see the thing is, like, when you're as good as Dame, like, you have to have an unhealthy ego. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. He reminds me more of. I want to say somebody like a Luke Walton, like a guy that's just going to come in and be the most likable person. Mm. You know, uh, a guy like uh, you know, Bismack Biombo. Someone like that. Mm -hmm. They're going to come in. They're going to give you great energy. They're going to be the ultimate team guy. But when you're someone like Damian Lillard, we're talking an all-NBA first-team player, eventually a first mm -hmm. ballot Hall of Famer, mm -hmm. uh, you don't come in with anything but a chip on your shoulder. And I don't know if the personalities align in that regard. Huh. That's, a, that's, a fair, that's a fair point. That's a fair yeah. point. Definitely. I make I make listen, a, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. So. <laughs> you, hey, you ain't lying. Don't we steal have, that I'm, line, though, because I stole it. Oh, okay. I got you. I no, got don't you. worry. We won't. So I actually, the first uh, thing of yours that I actually came across was um, your little podcast episode about uh, the Steve Nash hire. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, how white privilege didn't have anything to do with that hire. Um, did you think that was a good hire for the Nets? Do you like Steve Nash as a head coach, or do you think he's going to struggle with that team? I think it's going to be tricky. Mm -hmm. um, because you have a guy in Kevin Durant, you have a guy in Kyrie Irving. Um, I think it's just going to be tricky. I think at that point, I mean, what, what are you going to say to Kevin Durant? What are you going to say to a two-time <laughs> Finals MVP? What mm -hmm. are you going to say to one of the top 20 players to ever live? What are you going to say to a Kyrie Irving? You know, they know mm -hmm. they're dealing with a new coach. You know, it's, as great as Nash is as a player, it's a different beast being a head coach of a team. Now, he has their respect, but does he have their respect as a head coach? Because mm -hmm. Kevin Durant, was a peer of Nash for a long time. You know, obviously Kyrie Irving played a significant amount of years against Nash. I mean, Irving came in the league in 2011, so he was facing off against Nash when he was still an all-star. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be difficult, you know, depending on what happens with Harden, whether, you know, rumors are, are circulating, and there's certainly an ample amount of speculation that James Harden's going to end up in, in the BK. So that's going to be a tricky situation. I mean, we saw what happened with Jason Kidd. You know, I don't know mm -hmm. if Garnett and Pierce really looked at him as a head coach. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a good uh, a good point about Jason Kidd. He de definitely struggled, you know, at least in his first year or two. Right. Um, you know, Stephen and I have kind of uh, taken to calling um, 
the Brooklyn, the calling Brooklyn the Brooklyn, you know, social club instead of the Brooklyn Nets. Right. Because we kind of, you know, it's just going to be an interesting group of personalities and, and drinking be- wine and, you know, doing paintings <laughs> and, you know, playing hacky sack with each other and stuff like that. You know, it's right. a, a lot of eclectic personalities there. I think, though, it's like the way I've been saying it, David, I'm, I know I'm not the only one that shares this sentiment, right? But it's either going to be boom or bust. Like, it's either going to be the perfect formula with all of these kind of like, more polarizing personalities in the NBA. Like they're either going to be like, you know what guys, everyone hates us. That's fine. We're, we got each other and we'll just go to the finals in year right. one or two, or it's just going to be like, you know what guys, we're not friends anymore. Like we're not going to kind of like how Harden and Westbrook went, right? Like right, Houston right. was like, we're going to trade away Chris Paul and bring in Russell Westbrook. and It'll be fine because they're friends. And we, we just saw how that went this season. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's going to be interesting for sure. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, free agency and the, you know the sped up timeline of the off season? Do you think it was a good idea for the NBA to start you know on December twenty second, or do you think they should have waited? Yeah, I mean, from a revenue standpoint, they had to do that. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? They absolutely had to mm-hmm. do that. Um, so I don't blame them whatsoever. It was it was obvious. It was honestly like a no brainer. Like it was it was mm-hmm. one of those things. Like it was a must. Like there was no choice behind it. They already lost so much revenue. Mm-hmm. um with covid and that's not the nba's fault you know right yeah and it's also i think it's kind of weird too right because the nba was uh, like they they were priding themselves and rightfully so right like how they conducted themselves in the bubble and they you know they were not shy on saying like hey maybe the government should do what we're doing right and like everybody isolate and stay away from each other and now they're looking at like college football professional football you know, all these other places where they're allowing people in. And yes, some people are exposing themselves to COVID and they're having to deal with scheduling conflicts and stuff like that. Right. But the NBA, they did the right thing, lost a lot of money. These other places are doing it contrary to what the NBA did and they're making money. Right. So like, obviously that had to do a little bit with their decision to say, all right, guys, maybe we just kind of have to suck it up and do what's best for the buck, you know? Absolutely. I mean, Adam Silver's one of the, I, you know, I, I think guys, you know what I'd be really interested to see um, Austin and Steven is if they ever do some type of documentary on mm-hmm. how they came about mm-hmm. this bubble, because it's fascinating what they were able to do. I mean, aside mm-hmm. from maybe Lou Williams, you know, and that's just a knucklehead decision. I mean, you're talking about a 15 year veteran that just knows better. Um, yeah. he's, he's too smart for that, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was damn near perfect. How, how the NBA went about this. And you look mm-hmm. at the, the, the tragedy that that is, um, you know, more than a quarter of a million deaths right now, COVID. And you're talking about, you know, no positive tests. I believe I, I don't quote me on the specifics, but I want to say it seemed like two or three months. There were zero po- forget mm-hmm. hospitalizations and, and, you know, um, you know, untimely deaths. Uh, you know, we're talking about zero positive tests for mm-hmm. two, three months. Right. That was pretty impressive. Stephen and I kind of followed that, you know, running on our show as the, as the, you know, the bubble progressed and every right. week it was just another week with no positive tests. And it was great to see that it worked out the way it did. I, I, I wasn't really skeptical because I'm, I'm with you guys and thinking that, you know, Adam Silver can kind of do no wrong. So I'll trust him first and deal with whatever kind of, you know, crow eating right. I have to do afterwards. You know, Adam Silver is a pretty, uh, you know, him in a circle, whoever they are, right? Like they, uh, they do a pretty good job of analyzing every Avenue and then, typically making the better decision, right? Right, right, exactly. Excellent. Um, so, so I was just wondering, this is kind of more of a personal question than anything because I'm interested. What's it like working on uh, NBA radio for Sirius XM? Uh, it, it takes its toll. 
yeah. it takes its toll. You know, there's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I work with I work for a man named Sean Butler, who's a program director, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's out he's out he's phenomenal. He's outstanding. Um, you know, so so in that regard, the people that I work with are are great. It's the pressure that comes with representing the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, being the official. Um, you know, station to the NBA, it, it, it has a lot of weight behind it. Um, so I don't take it for granted, but you know, you're expected every single day, you know, even right now, as I'm, as I'm talking with you guys and wanting to give you my undivided attention, you know, I got people reaching out to me. I got people texting me. So, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just ongoing. I got to show that I got to start, literally start preparing for the second I get off the phone with you guys. I then got to do a three hour show. I got to run the board. I got to produce. I got to take calls. I got to come up with the content. I got to put the PBT and I got to make sure we're on demand. Then I got to make sure that there's an audiogram. I got to make sure that our guests, that there's a certain amount of read, sound check. I got to make sure that we're oh, hitting on yeah. this interview. I got to make sure we're doing this liner before the interview, after the interview. I want to make sure that we're, we're taking over from Galaxy. We're putting it into the Zeta system. And I didn't even cover maybe 90% of what we need to be doing in Sirius XM NBA radio. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, hey, David, we know that you got to run here within the next couple of minutes. We, <laughs> we, 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 we certainly appreciate you giving mm-hmm. us, you know, the the 13 minutes of your time. Um, we, we'll just put it out there for anybody who wants to see all the great work that David does. He has his own, you know, he's the good shepherd right on YouTube. He has that going on. He's obviously a part of, you know, Sirius XM Radio, CBS Sports, you know, writing and, and, and all of that, right? So um, all of the pl- all the places where you can find big NBA news and stuff, David's got his hands in it, right? He's he's involved <laughs> with a lot of different areas. So, um, uh, Austin, you want to go ahead and uh, let let David go? Or say- yeah, real, just real quick, uh, did sure. the Bucks do did the Bucks do enough to keep Giannis, or do you think he's gone? Ooh. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with Holiday. It depends mm-hmm. on one name, and that's a, that's a name that a lot of people want to see. The, uh, these next two months go smooth. Holiday, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of appropriate, huh? The Bucks yeah. want to get holiday. Right. <laughs> there you go all right well david thank you so much for giving yeah. us a little bit of your time we'll let you go and do you know all of those things that you said that weren't even like a quarter of your schedule <laughs> that you got going on today um it, it just means a lot to austin and i that you gave oh, us yeah. a little bit of your time today david it's my pleasure guys and just very quickly i just want to say you guys are very professional you guys handle yourselves like gentlemen thank you for making this easy for me to come on thank you for giving me the platform to come on and talk nba and serious xm with you your time is 100% as valuable as mine. I know you guys know that, but don't ever think anything less of that for a second. So I appreciate y'all having me. Thank you very much. Thank yes, you. sir. Thank you so much for that. You have a blessed day, David. Thanks, gentlemen. You do the same, yeah. Stephen. Austin. Have Take a good care, one. Gentlemen. All right. Bye. You too now. Bye. All right. How cool was that, Austin? Right. That was pretty awesome. Um, I was definitely <laughs> a little nervous at first, a little bit. Uh, you know, he's kind of got my dream job, you know, he's, he's been a researcher for ESPN. He works for, you know, a big time radio station. He works for the NBA radio. Like how much better would it get? Yeah. So I love that. that. Was, that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, you're talking serious XM radio where you got guys who played in the league guys like Antonio mm-hmm. Daniels, you know, people like that, right. Who are, you know, Sam Mitchell, right. Like guys right. who have played and guys who have coached and, you know, we just, you know, interface with a guy that, you know, did all of those things like did you catch most of what he said that he had to do yeah a little bit of it a lot of it was stuff that i didn't even i've never even heard of before right so i mean it's um it, it's definitely one of those things right austin where it sounds like mm-hmm. a, a dream and it certainly would like i mean to be able to be at that level it, it obviously does take some sacrifice and a lot right. of effort and planning and stuff like that right but mm-hmm. um you know it, you know the bigger the responsibility you know the bigger the responsibilities 
that come mm-hmm. that come along with it, right? And, so right. And you know, the one thing that really just kind of stuck out in my mind when I was reading a little bit about his, you know, his career and his profile online is he's the he's in charge of booking all the all the talent for every show on NBA radio and Mad Dog Sports, which is, you know, so two separate radio stations. Yeah, completely different channels. And not only that, you have to work with some really big time personalities, you know, guys that have won Emmys and stuff for you know, their work on the radio, like Justin Termini, you know, some of those guys, Frank Isola, if you watch ESPN, he's been on there a lot. Yeah. You know, so that's, it would be, uh, I understand what he means when he says it's extremely stressful and a lot of pressure for sure. Yeah. I mean, we just got done talking about how he was like, yeah, I just talked to Tyrese Halliburton the other day and you know, that's how, like, how cool is that? Right. Like, and mm-hmm. the fact that he, you know, he gave us a little bit of time. Like, I think that that speaks to one, um, how humble he is right like just the way that he exited and uh you know and spoke glowingly about us and stuff like that and you know i'm not saying that we that we aren't you know capable of being able to conduct an interview or anything like that right right? but the fact that he you know was willing to make that time and um you before the show everybody who's listening and watching now like he he let me know well ahead in advance today that he had some stuff come up at 6 30 and you just listened to everything that he said that he had to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was like, Hey, um, Steven, I, I just want to let you know. And he, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put that out there. Never mind. But he was, he was saying like, Hey man, I, I just want to let you know that, uh, I had something come up. I really still want to be on the show. Can, can we make this time available? And, you know, even though it's only going to be a little bit of time, I still want to do the show with you gentlemen. Right. So like, I thought that was, um, you know, the you guy know, that's interviewing NBA players is like, Hey guys, mm-hmm. like, want to give you guys my undivided attention so i thought right you know it makes me feel feel pretty proud to for him to say that you know all that stuff he has to do and all these different jobs he has and how busy he is to still make time for you know little old us (laughs) right yeah is is pretty awesome so it does speak to how you know down to earth of a guy he is but i can't help but be a little you know proud that he was able to come on our show i think it was i think it went well yeah, I mean, and he and he, you know, he he has looked at our work, and you know, obviously, obviously, we're doing something right, Austin, in our right. in our infancy stages here. You know, this is episode twenty three, and we right. just got you know a guy who books for you know SiriusXM Radio. So, right. you know, yeah, I know that in situations like this, right, you're supposed to be professional and stuff like this. You're supposed to act like you've been there before. But like at the end of the day, like I still feel yeah. I, I feel like a 15 year old kid. Right. Like I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, Me man, too. like I just got to interview David Shepard. That's pretty awesome. That's like, right? and, you know, in the back of my mind, it's like this guy interviews NBA players and, you know, famous people. We can't sound like fools when we're trying when we're trying <laughs> to ask questions. Yeah. And when we were talking over each other, which we do a little <laughs> bit, but I felt like we did a little bit more than normal at the beginning. of right. the show. Right. We were just like, no, you there. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. It's almost he, like a scene from one of those dumb comedy movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we we still want to be able to have a you know a, a show worth listening and watching to, right? Mm-hmm. We're not just gonna talk about, oh my gosh, David Shepard, David Shepard, even though it was really cool that he was on, right? But um mm-hmm. we do want to catch up on a little bit of news that's happening, right? You know, um uh and my buddy Dre, he just came on here and says, you know, keep attacking the process. I appreciate that very much, Dre. Um, you mm-hmm. know, thank you. That when 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 I was trying to you know do my own network before I had a change of plans and schedule and stuff like that, uh, Dre was a was a part of was a part of the network for a little bit too. And so I just I think it's cool that you know that we still have contact with with our friends right. like that, right. So that's one of the best things that I think I've gotten out of this podcast and just 
the, you know, off the ball network and everything that we've done in general is just all the awesome people that I've met, you know, like I wish everybody that listens to us or everybody that's out there really could have the kind of, you know, uh, group message we have on Twitter. Like, it's just, it's awesome. You know, it's every it's day, not every day, it's, <laughs> and it's not every day you find a group of guys like that, that are, that we all get along and respect each other as well as we do. And we're all, you know, hard workers and we've got a lot of really good talented people. So, and not you know, only that, but like, we don't a lot of good things about, we don't just talk about sports. Like we, we got mm-hmm. like, it's, it's a fellowship, right? Like I can't help to bring, you know, I, I, I go to a church. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I am, Me you too. know, Christian and stuff like that. Right. So it's, Me too. it's fellow. I'm not saying that you're not, I'm just, you know, for I know. don't know, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's fellowship. It really is. It's doing life mm-hmm. with one another. Right. And then it's, you know, ironing sharp, iron sharpening iron and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Right. So it was pretty cool to, to um, be able to do this. Right. But, um, right. and my buddy Dre, our buddy Dre just came on and said, very true. Appreciate you. Appreciate you there, Dre. But, um, let's talk about a little bit about some news. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. David did touch on it and this is a big story. Um, yes, we covered it a little bit on our uh, draft show yesterday and if you didn't get a chance, first off, to watch the the draft show that we did, uh, I know that the picks and stuff are already in. But uh, if you want to just see us at the Off the Ball Network, kind of have a good time with one another, you can go to the Facebook.com forward slash Off the Ball Network, and uh, it's still available on there. I believe it was yeah. at like almost a thousand views or something like that, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So it was pretty successful. But um, we right. talked about the Clay Thompson injury, right? And we looked at the way that the Warriors were going to draft, and they were long suspected prior to Clay's injury that they were going to get James Wiseman. I felt that that was the best pick. We just heard David mm-hmm. kind of echo that same sentiment, right? Uh, I, I look at him and I see shades of Chris Bosh, you know, except a better defender. You know, maybe he's not going to be as versatile on the offensive end, but, you know, the touch around the basket, um, the athleticism, his ability to run the floor, um, a lot of things remind me of young Chris Bosh coming out of Georgia Tech. So hours prior to their pick, Clay Thompson is out there doing what he's supposed to do, trying to get ready for the NBA season. And, uh, you know, he gets injured in one leg, which shut down his season last year. The opposite leg, he has what's what we now know is an Achilles injury, which is going to prohibit him from playing this upcoming season, Austin. Uh, mm-hmm. They still go ahead and draft the guy that they really wanted. And James mm-hmm. Wiseman, instead of a, you know, a LaMelo ball was available, certainly. Um you know, with the injury, uh, I even said on the show, I said that, you know, they're giving this ball a yarn, right? Mm-hmm. And they're saying, quick, you have to untangle this. And you're saying, all right, I don't have Clay Thompson. Um, I'm going to draft James Wiseman, okay? But, you know, I can't trade for a star now because if I do, I'm still down a star, right? So, um, you know, you pull that and you're like, okay, now I have to trade all my draft picks. I have to trade you know, Wiggins as well. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier on that group chat saying, what if they trade for Bradley Bill? They're still down. <laughs> They're still down a guy. And in order to get a guy like that, you could bet that the Wizards are going to want James Wiseman now, right? So, right. And that next year's and that next year's first round pick out of Minnesota. It's a lot to have to deal with, Austin. Do you think that mm-hmm. the Warriors standing pat is the best way to go? Or do you think that they should try to shake it up? Well, first off, you know, in terms of drafting Wiseman, I don't think there was going to be anything close to a replacement in this draft at all for Clay Thompson. I, you know, I don't think that's where they're going to find that if, you know, if that's what they're trying to do. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, a, I wasn't against the pick, even, even with the injury, you know, I think Wiseman is, you know, going to be 
for an absolute monster. You know, he's it's he's not like a lot of these you know raw big men that they talk about that have no offensive skill or touch around the basket. Like he's got incredible hands. He's incredibly mm-hmm. quick. You know, just in terms of physical looks. He, he reminds me a lot of like a young David Robinson in terms of how, you know, just def, like filled out he already is and how just he's just massive. Yeah, he's know? chiseled. So I don't think there's a whole lot of chance that he's not going to be, you know, a perennial starter for the next 15 years in this league. So I think they did good there. But honestly, I, I don't know that they should try to go out and get a star to replace um Clay Thompson, because even even if he was going to be healthy this year, this is a completely different team yeah. than it was b- with Kevin Durant and even before. You know, Iguodala's gone, um, Sean Livingston's gone, and you know those guys were big important pieces. So this team's not nearly as deep as it used to be. You know, even guys like Quinn Cook had you know a lot of imp- impact on that team. Leandro so. Barbosa, you know, mm-hmm. David West, you know, those right. guys were you know Andrew Bogut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, is coming off of an injury still, you know, you know, obviously the splash brothers, you know, if they were healthy and back to their normal selves, we're going to compete in the West, even though the West's loaded, you know, yeah. with Wiggins as their third guy. I think I was excited to see what Wiggins could do in kind of a, you know, complimentary role instead of being expected to be, you know, the star like he was in Minnesota, but uh, he's going to have to kind of do a little bit more now. It seems like. Um, but I, I think they should stand pat and financially, like it makes way too much sense not to try to add any more money to their uh, salary cap because they're already in the tax. And I saw a tweet earlier that um, by adding that $14 million contract of Kelly Oubre's, if they do, um, yeah. it's going to cost like $85 million in tax penalties. Yeah, because there's, I think it's like a, a 60, tax. yeah, it's a $68 million tax on top of the contract that he mm-hmm. has at 14.4 million. Now, I will say that and I I forget the gentleman that I follow, but he shared it on 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 Twitter and he said uh, you know, Warrior fans are lucky to have Joe Lacob and that stuck with me and resonated with me so hard because it's like he reminds me of the the guy who wanted to start Jurassic Park. You know, you remember the the old gentleman with the white hat and yeah, the beard, you know. Yeah, he said, you know, what was this? What was the saying he said all the time on 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 the movie? Spared no expense. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one, like he wants to do this for the people. Like he doesn't. Right. He does not care. He actually took out a credit prior to this season even starting because they just opened up a brand new stadium. They're they're one of the leading teams in the NBA right now looking to do advanced testing. They they believe that they can fill their stadium up to 100 percent capacity based on mm-hmm. the medical research that they're putting in to trying to make going to a Warriors game as fun and as safe as possible. So when you consider that the Warriors have a guy like Joe Legob, who's doing all that already, looks (laughs) at Tsunami Poppy, who I mentioned in in a few shows, I think that he has like a very Warriors type vibe. Like, you know, remember when the story came out that Clay Thompson one night just ran in the beach and went swimming in the middle of the night, like, you don't think that Kelly Oubre Jr. would see Clay right. Thompson do that and be like, "Hey, man, I'm going to come with you." You know what I mean? Like he, they just seem like a, a fun group of guys all all around. That whole team just like they, you know, they're obviously very serious about their craft, and I'm not taking anything away from that. But they do, they just seem like a bunch of dudes going out and playing basketball. You know, like it's supposed to be. Yeah, and I just think there it it would be a great place to play. You know, going to Golden State doesn't solve all the problems in the world. It's not like they're just going to magically you know 
shake off this injury. But I will say, if anybody in the NBA's game is going to be the least affected by you know recovery from an Achilles injury, it's probably Clay Thompson. The dude dribbled like 13 times in the last decade, so. <laughs> You know, he doesn't have to really move around a whole lot or, you know, his defense will be affected. Obviously, nobody's ever the same from when they come back from an Achilles injury. So, you know, it's going to be rough for him. It'll be two full years that he's going to have missed, you know, at this point now. And that's just a long time. This this right now, this period we're in the last couple of last year and this year should have kind of been like the peak for the Splash Brothers. And instead, we're just we're not going to get to see it. And it's that's too bad. It really is. And, you know, you consider not only coming back from last injury, like last year's injury, that he was going to, you know, still have to get in NBA game shape. Like he'd been training, he'd been practicing. Like that's how he got injured, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to get ready for the upcoming season. He was still not going to be right. You know what I mean? Like he was, I'm not saying he wouldn't have been good or productive or anything like that, but he wasn't going to be the Clay Thompson that we saw. Prior. Right, he's not going to be out there defending defending the best perimeter player on the other team every night like he was. He's not going to, you know, be out there for at least probably the first month or two of the season. He was probably going to be on a minute restriction, correct? You know, just because he's just because you got to get in shape. Like, just you know, anybody that's listening that doesn't understand what we mean about game shape, just go go to your local gym or your local Y and run two or three pickup games in a row and see if you're not dead <laughs> afterwards. Because basketball shape is a little different than just regular exercise. Yeah, and you talk about this injury, right? He probably wasn't going to be coming back off of last year's injury, you know, 100% until maybe halfway through this season, maybe coming into the following season. But now you're talking about Clay Thompson now, right? Coming off of another injury. Right now, he's 30 years old, so he's my age. So I'm not going to sit here and talk about him like he's a dinosaur. And he's younger than you, so I'm not going to do that for both of our sakes, right? But you're talking about Clay Thompson probably not being back at 100%, if ever, until the age of 32. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and just think about how hard the recovery from a torn ACL is. And then to just almost be there. And now he's not only got to work on rebuilding the strength in that leg and, and in that knee, but he's also got to worry about his other leg. There's Achilles. And he's got to worry about, you know, how kind of balancing, you know, recovery from both injuries. I'm sure having the, you know, the ACL will definitely make the uh, recovery from the Achilles a lot harder. Or it's just think about like the mental aspect of it too. Just, you know, it'd be hard to not get pretty down on yourself in that kind of situation. Well, right. He just had a commercial come out this last year, right? Where mm-hmm. he was, you know, in there, like the commercial was him working out and working back to get from the season and, you know, looking mm-hmm. to prove everybody who thinks that the Warriors were done wrong. Right. And you know that it had to be decimating, right? And, you know, Throughout the draft night, you know, we saw folks like, you know, Mark Stein, Stephen A. Smith, you know, Shams, Woj, everybody who's anybody that covers the league, you know, at that level and that intensity was was dropping, you know, clues and stuff saying like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a heel injury. So that kind of pointed to the, you know, what we all suspected to be an ACL. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all saying that, it, you know, it simply just doesn't look good that all of his teammates were making Mm -hmm. preparations to go and see him. You know, everyone was, you know, doing the prayers up emojis and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. all that's well and good, but you know, all of that, just one after another in such a short fashion, like it, it just felt like it was going to be something bad that we just had to wait for the news the next day. And you know, when you, when you hear heel injury, at least for me, there's one of three things that comes to mind. It's an Achilles. It's, Mm. you know, plantar fasciitis, which, 
can take months to get back from, you know, it's, it's difficult to deal with or what's called an avulsion fracture, which is what uh, Brett Favre had in his last year in the NFL where mm-hmm. the heel bone actually breaks. And instead of the tendon tearing, it actually pulls a piece of the bone off. So that doesn't sound fun. No. So like, you know, any, any real way this could have gone, it wasn't going to be, you know, a quick turnaround for him. Like he wasn't going to come back in a few weeks and, and be okay from it. It was going to be a, a, you know, a long injury regardless. Yeah. And, there was optimism too, right? Because they were saying that they could see movement in the calf and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there was some sort of optimism, but seizing ending mm-hmm. is, is not like you just feel bad, right? Because as many people hated on the warriors and, you know, they were just like, Oh great. We got to watch the warriors win another mm-hmm. championship. Like it was still one of the best teams of all time. And like, even you could criticize Kevin Durant and everybody did, you know, you could criticize mm-hmm. the warriors and Draymond green and everybody did, but to be able to say that you watch probably one of the greatest basketball teams mm-hmm. ever assembled. And then like if injuries didn't happen, you're talking about a team that could have had DeMarcus cousins, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like so you legitimately had five all-stars on the team at one time. Right. You're talking about like the Boston Celtics in their heyday. You know what I mean? Like right, when there was eight, when there was eight NBA teams, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? that, that's also helps, you know? So, mm-hmm. but now you're up to 30 and, mm-hmm. you know, only 15 players make an all-star team. You had legitimately a third of an all-star team all on the Golden State Warriors. And not only that, you had, you know, two guys that have won MVP awards. One's a multiple-time winner. You know, two of arguably the five best players in the world at the time, along with arguably the best shooter or one of the two best shooters in the NBA currently. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Draymond Green was probably the definition of a glue guy at that yeah. time, you know. So it oh, was and a, by the way, a defensive player of the year candidate in Andre Iguodala, a six man of the year candidate in Andre Iguodala, a finals MVP in Andre Iguodala. You know, Sean Livingston, who was you know high, touted as one of the next great superstar point guards, that was going to change the position before he had that really bad knee injury that he had. That was one of the worst I've ever seen. His leg was like completely turned around. But they've you know, been they a multiple time mm-hmm. all-star Leandro Barbosa. Andrew you know, Bogut was the number one overall pick. Yeah. I mean, like that team was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So it, you know and you're you won't see teams like that don't happen very much. And it's just it's crit like and again you could criticize it and everything you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people did um even though no rules were broken. But, um, you know, people criticize that team. But the fact that, like, if you're an, just an NBA fan in general and you can say, you you know, someday, Austin, you and I are going to look at our grandkids when when we hate the way the mm-hmm. NBA has played, maybe if right. we ever get to that point and we can say when there's four point shots. Yeah. Back in my days, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were the best shooting mm-hmm. backcourt ever, you know, like it. Right. I kind of think about like the the old Phoenix Suns teams of Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, the seven seconds or less. They got me into basketball. Right. How fun they were to watch. And then to hear when they were talking about about it with Sean Marion, they wouldn't even be I think their pace would have been like 25th in the league this year. Uh, You know, they wouldn't even really be keeping up with the way the game's played now. So it's just it's crazy to see you know where it's gone from there and the just, orlando you know. magic we talked about them when we when we evaluated mm-hmm. the coaching hirings right with the the mm-hmm. new orleans pelicans bringing in stan van gundy who mm-hmm. you know brought in that pick and roll heavy you know one out or four out one in you right. know mentality with dwight howard and he took them to in the nba finals against the mm-hmm. los angeles lakers so right. you know and again like it, all those teams say if we knew now what if we knew if we know now what we knew 
if we knew then what we know now, excuse me, that was, I don't know why that was so hard for me, but hey, I meant if, what you knew. Yeah, there you go. Right. You're welcome for that one, by the way. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, they always say, we wish we would have did more of that at that time instead of, you know, worrying about what everyone was saying is like, that's not good mm-hmm. basketball. That's not the way basketball is supposed to be played. Right. And I, I kind of think that's what the Houston Rockets tried to do with their, you know, hero ball style of play with James Harden rather than, you know, try to get him to not do it. They kind of doubled down on it more than once. And, you know, they get criticized for it because it didn't work. But I don't think it was the system that was nece- necessarily the reason. It was more just the, the guy that it was built for is just he's not going to he's not the guy that's going to take you to the promised land and hit those big shots in the last moment. So yeah, I liked, I liked that the Houston Rockets tried to do it their own way and, you know, gave it a, they gave it as good a shot as they did. And, you know, I kind of feel like the next evolution that we're going to see in the NBA is kind of what like the Miami heat have now with that mm. guy that they drafted from Memphis, you know, just big freak. Athlete, oh, precious. Achua. precious yeah. Achua. You know, him and bam out of bio, you know, if, if this guy's anything like Bam, like they're saying he is, you know, having two playmaking big athletic forwards like that, you know, that may be the next thing we see that the league copycats are, you know, I think Miami's in a good spot. Well, and I, I'm not as high on Precious as a lot of folks are, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, I've been wrong before, but, you know, he, he's going to be offensively limited. I mean, right. you saw you saw that in, in Memphis, too, and mm-hmm. he had... Once Wiseman, the whole scandal thing came out with his parents accepting things and, you know, all that fun stuff. Right. right. It was Precious's team. And like he that offense around Precious is just not now defensively. He that that's where you see the BAM comparisons. Right. Like he right. Everyone says that he can guard one through five and everyone like people say that about a lot of players. But that's really, really difficult to do, especially mm-hmm. for like a, you know, a 19, 20 year old guy who hasn't even touched an NBA court and you're going to be already saying because he's the same height, roughly the same width, you know, mm-hmm. same, you know, um, physical dimensions and stuff right. like that. Athleticism. Yeah. Like, Oh, this is another bam out Like that's mm-hmm. lofty praise because when bam came into the league, nobody knew that bam was going to be who he is right. now because bam for his credit in Kentucky, he was an elbow shooter. Like he was a very good mid range shooter. But that like he was a mid-range shooter and he was a dunker. He was not a shot creator for others. You know, right. he he was a capable defender, but he wasn't asked to do nearly what Memphis is allowing him to do. Plus, he had the benefit to play behind a guy like Hassan Whiteside, who isn't my cup of tea. But, you know, there was no pressure on him to come in and be like the next something. You know what right. I mean? Miami's future wasn't hinging on his, you know, development into a star. Like it mm-hmm. turns out that it, it may actually now, but it, you know, that wasn't the plan all along. It wasn't like he was the the guy that was supposed to have all the pressure on him to take them to the next level. And I also think it kind of speaks to Eric Spolster's coaching that, you know, he gives these guys the ability to kind of grow their game and do more and more as they, as they develop. And a lot of coaches wouldn't be willing to put, you know, the playmaking duties in the hands of a, you know, young power forward who was seen as offensively limited when he first came into the league. So I think you got to give credit to Spolstra and, you know, just their player development in Miami. I think, you know, they talk about the heat culture all the time. I think, you know, they're one of the best franchises in the, in the entire NBA when it comes to that kind of stuff. And you're ho- and you're correct. And when I evaluated Precious Achua and I was hearing, it wasn't even until like this month I started mm-hmm. hearing like, Precious Achua may be a first round pick. I'm like, from what? Like, 
I don't know if it's a product of having too much time to evaluate players. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was the fact that all we had was game film. And then we started seeing like these combine measurements and stuff come out and like, oh, new information. Let's only dissect this now. You know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. that probably helped him climb up the boards because this young man is very he's a he's physically gifted among physically gifted people. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like he right. He, he stands out physically amongst his peers. Mm -hmm. So that certainly helps. And people love measurements. People care about hand size. They care about, you know, lateral, you know, um, makes no sense, you know, cone drills and stuff like this. You know, you're never going to have to run cones in an NBA game. Right. But it it shows certain things that represent somewhat what you're going to do on an NBA floor. Uh Supposedly. I would be hard pressed to believe if you asked every single scout that, that was at the NBA that goes to the NBA combine for all those measurements, if they were there was anything that actually surprised them about any of these guys. You know what I mean? It's just a way to put numbers in those in those slots on a on a sheet because I feel like, you know, they know what these guys are are capable of doing athletically well before they get to the combine maybe some of the you know the international players it's a little bit different or some unknown guys might step up and have a big day but it's not like you're gonna find out that one of these top 15 picks can't jump or can't you know is is way slower than you thought au contraire i would well i'm not gonna say most i will say mostly you're correct but in the 07 draft, I would say that the combine is the reason why Kevin Durant was selected second overall instead of number oh, yeah. one overall with Greg Oden, because he's he talks about this, you know, laughingly now and, and rightfully so. You know, when he had to do the bench press and everyone's like, this guy can't even lift a dump. He's like, I don't care. I can still ball <laughs> like he's right. still he I, I can still be one of the best scores in NBA history. Like this is I don't, the NFL where, you know, you're constantly pushing on a guy like an offensive lineman. Like when in an NBA game, do you need bench press? You know, like it's just one it's would argue that play. forearm extended that people like mm-hmm. to do now when they go up for a layup, you got to be able to push people off of you. Like, mm-hmm. but I see, I understand what you're saying. When you're seven feet tall and you can shoot the lights out, you don't need to push people off of you nearly as much as most like most guys either. So Yeah, and you and you have a tight handle too. And you know, it brings up a good point that you were talking about, you know, too much time for to evaluate these players. I kind of think that this year was the ultimate case of that. For one, I don't think there was a consensus number one pick because there was no NCAA tournament. And that's kind of where guys, you know really get seen by a lot of the the viewing public, at least, you know, they make their name, you know, there was going to be somebody like maybe an OB Toppin. If he had taken uh Dayton to the final four oh, and had a great NCAA tournament, you know, he would probably have been the consensus number one pick, but we had so much time to pick apart all of these kids, you know, just look at them. Everything about Anthony Edwards, you know, statistically in his first season in college says that he's going to be a a great scorer in the pros. Look at James Wiseman. He's a freak of nature athlete. He's gigantic. He's fast. He he can move. He's got good hands. But we only saw three college games of him. And I think that that truly hurt him. If we would have saw a full season of James Wiseman, I wholeheartedly believe that he would have been hands down the consensus number one. Yeah. And then, you know, LaMelo Ball is a six, seven point guard that, you know, he's he's got to work on his shooting a little bit, but he's got transcendent passing skills. You know, he's a great, great passer. And and so I think all three of those guys may end up being the the superstars that this that everybody's saying weren't in this draft. I got I mean, a question for you about mm-hmm. about LaMelo Ball. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I myself am like 
I have always evaluated, like I'll say always, I have consistently evaluated college talent just on eye tests alone. Like mm -hmm. I've never really dove into it as much as I have this year. And I've learned right. a lot doing it, especially discussing with other people. Right. But one thing that my biggest issue with ball, and I'm not saying that he's not going to be successful mm -hmm. when you are a point guard, especially in the NBA. And the best thing that anyone can say about it, when you talk about LaMelo ball, what's the you, you said it earlier. What's the best skill that he has in the NBA? Passing. Is he a great defender? No. Is he a great shooter? No, but he, he's a decent shooter. He, okay. I'm he's good I, enough. I don't think, I mean, based off of what? Based off of just the fact that he's, you know, I think he's got a, a solid stroke and he's going to develop into a better shooter as time goes on. Know. Okay. I he mean, if you makings. feel that way, that's fine. Yeah, like, I feel like he has the makings. You know, we saw him when he was in high school as a sophomore hitting, you know, all those threes in the game. Like he's kind of lost his shot a little bit, but mm -hmm. I, I think that's a little bit over exaggerated because everybody saw what happened with his brother, you know, his first couple of years he struggled and, and he's gotten better. I'm no, yeah. I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, one of the best shooters in the NBA, but he's going to be capable, you know? Yeah, my my thing is with him and, you know, you feel that way. That's fine. Like, we don't always agree and that's OK. We still have our conversation. Right. But um, when when I watched him play professionally in Australia. Right. And you go back and you look at the data. Not only was his three point shooting terrible, but his free throw was shooting is terrible. And usually that's a good indication on how tip and I, tip. You have to be one of the best of all time to ever do it to kind of negate that. Right. right. So he does not project. He does not project on what. NBA experts typically look to to be a great shooter. He could de develop into maybe a, a, a passable shooter. But mm -hmm. this is my point, Austin. If you're playing point guard in the NBA, as tall as he is, that's fine. He, you're, The best thing you do is pass. But your shooting ability is questionable. Your defense is questionable. Mm -hmm. they, they, people will argue that he is a great finisher, Okay, maybe like I don't see that, but okay, I'm not I'm not gonna push back on that one too much, right? Mm -hmm. When the best thing you do is is handle the ball and you make pretty passes, I think that that limits you, especially at, at the position that he plays, right? Like I don't look at Lamelo Ball and think, boy, this guy is gonna be one of the best point guards in the NBA. But I look at a path for a guy like Obi Toppin. I look at a path for a guy like James Wiseman. I say. One these guys legitimately could be one of the best at their position because right now when you look at centers, you look at guys like Carl Anthony Towns, Bam Adebayo, Nikola Jokic, and Joel Embiid. It's four guys. Mm -hmm. You look at the fours in the NBA. There's Draymond Green, uh, Anthony Davis. Anthony da well, you could put Anthony Davis four. Five so and four. right. So Anthony Davis is one A. Then after mm -hmm. that, there's a steep drop off. And you put in guys like Kevin Love, you know, um, <laughs> Draymond. Like, there's a steep path there. Poor Zingas when he's healthy. Poor Zingas when he's healthy. So my my point is, is that it's it's an easier path for one of those two to be one of the best at their position as opposed to a Lamelo Ball who has to contend with a guy like Steph Curry, a guy like Damian Lillard, a guy like Chris Paul, you, John you, Wall. Even you know, people forget about how good John Wall was before he got hurt. You know, John Ben sent like the the list of great point guards in the NBA right now is a very long list, and I see a right. hard, hard. It's it's hard for me to imagine Lamelo Ball mm -hmm. being it respectfully in there 
among some of the best Ja Morant even last season. Like I don't. Right. Um, you know, you make a really good point, and I can't argue with any of that. I, I, he does have a much harder road to to stardom, probably just because of the position he plays. But I also think of every guy you named, and the one thing they all have in common that Lamelo definitely didn't have in his development was was good coaching. You know, where has he ever played where the coach actually challenged him? Because his daddy ran everything when he was in high school. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't a coach, but he might as well have been. And then he took him out of school to go to Lithuania, which was a joke. They didn't even really play. And kind of, kind of disagree with that. And we can come back to that. But I just, I just want to say, I kind of disagree I mean, he, with that. He wasn't. He never got you know top level NCAA coaching. He didn't have sure. a you know a, an Izzo or a Mike Calipari, yeah. Calipari to kind of teach him how to be a pro and how to be a you know. He's got a lot of growing up to do, I think. But I also think that he's, if he does, and if if that part of his his game catches up with with everything else, I do think he has a chance to be pretty good. Yeah. And I want to say, too, like you can, that this is why he's so polarizing because all those same arguments you made against him, mm-hmm. he still ended up being the third best, like the, the a top three draft pick, right? Mm-hmm. Because of what his dad did for him. Like he played professional basketball as a teenager. Right. You know, twice in two in two separate countries. Like he's already traveled. He's already know what it's like to be famous. You know, mm-hmm. he since he was young. Right. Like he knows what it's like to not be the, the biggest name in a famous family. You know what I right. mean? It's like you can make the case that for all those reasons, you don't like them. There's some aspects in there to where you can say, you know what? Like there's actually shades of of, of good things involved in that as well oh yeah he's never going to be the moment's never going to be too big for him i don't think mm-hmm. he's never going to be starstruck or overwhelmed by the media you know i never watched it but that ball in the family show on facebook had like <laughs> millions of viewers like, yeah it was, you know my wife watched it and she's not she's not into the she's nba at all a basketball fan right right so <laughs> you know he's that that's part of the reason i think i why i picked him for rookie of the year in our you know, way too early awards that we did just because, you know, he's going to have the media attention. He's going to have the storylines behind him and, and he's not going to be, he's not going to shrivel in the limelight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, speaking of media attention, right. You got OB Toppin falling to the New York Knicks Mm -hmm. at eight and he's second on my, on my board. Right. I had James Wiseman. I had OB Toppin. And then I had LaMelo and I almost want to put Tyrese Halliburton above LaMelo, but I'm going to stick to my guns. It's my first year really being in, you know, into it. I'm just going to hold my guys where they are. I'll eat my right. crow later. That's always I, the best way to do it. Yep, yeah, I'm going to stand my ground. And if I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. Right. But um, Obi Toppin falling to number eight, I thought was a great pickup. Uh, I had Emmanuel quickly 20th on my board and he went significantly later than that. Uh, we have a vested interest within our network on the success of the New York Knickerbockers. Right. So um, just real quick. And again, like we're both pretty, pretty new at at analyzing the draft. Right. But based on what you have seen, based on the players that you've analyzed, how do you think the New York Knicks did coming out of this year's draft? I mean, what more could you ask for? You know, I think it's the first time in, in almost two decades where we can say that the Knicks front office made some smart moves. Yeah. You know, they're still working and, on them too, by the way. And, you know, they were, let's be honest, I don't want to be too mean, but they've been a laughing stock for a while. It is they, what it is, man. Just the, you know, the moves they make and the draft picks they've had, you know, 
you can go back and look through every year and name all of them. You know, they've had lots of guys just not pan out. And mm-hmm. for Obi Toppin to be there and for them to actually take him, it seems like it kind of just was meant to be. You know, he is a pretty NBA ready player already. I not think he's of, rookie of the year, like ready. I mm-hmm. think he's like that level. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be a, a lot more people would agree with you if they if we had had an NCAA tournament. Because I think that's where he would have gotten all the eyeballs on him and he would have gotten the narrative and everybody would have seen what he can do because he was terrific. And Dayton was really good. It wasn't like Dayton normally where they might win a game in the NCAA tournament and surprise somebody and shock shock somebody (laughs) with an upset. They were going to be one of the top teams. They were really good. So, you know, I think that's that's really the main like storyline that hurt him. But ultimately, I think it might be good for his career. You know, he's he's a New York kid, so he's going to be. You know, he's going to be welcomed with open arms. So, yeah, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I mean, coming out of Brooklyn, he he knows what it's like to live in Gotham City, right? And uh, we, we saw how emotional he was that he got to go to his hometown team, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, all the jokes aside about, you know, all the power forwards at the Knicks, they're working on that today. You know, they just right. got rid of Bobby Porter. They got rid of Taj Gibson, which was surprising, right? Because mm-hmm. we know how Tom Thibodeau loves him some Taj right. Gibson. But right. They're making room for this kid to be, mm-hmm. you know, an impact guy. Mm-hmm. They could be targeting a, a, a point guard in this draft. So you're looking at them having a point guard quickly, um, Barrett, Toppin and Robinson. That could be a fun young core. Right. I was just going to say him, RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson are at the very least. They're going to on the fast break, you know, they're going to be able to get out and run and, and score some points. Those three mm-hmm. and Emmanuel quickly is a, a great pickup for them too. You know, I was with you kind of when I did my first round, you know, research, I figured he'd go a little bit higher than he did. So, you know, you can't, can't be upset with that pick there. They've, they've made some, some good moves. They've opened up, I think about $40 million in cap space. Well, they so, just yeah. also brought on this. Uh, this happened a little bit ago. I want to say about a half an hour ago or so. No, about an hour ago. They accepted bringing in Ed Davis's deal from the Utah jazz. Uh-huh. And what this does, it allows one Utah to have more cap space to bring in Jordan Clarkson and another mm-hmm. player on the mid-level exception, which Utah could be kind of a scary team uh, coming into yeah. next year. But they got as a bookie, right? They did. They drafted as a yeah, which I, like I was kind of. I, I like him too, but I thought that he was potentially undrafted. Like that's why I like him. I was like, he's still worth being able to draft, but I did not see first round talent in him. But he does kind of fit the mold of a Rudy Gobert. So yeah. when he's out, they can still run the same type of system, things like mm-hmm. that. I digress. But you know what, bringing in Ed Davis did for the Knicks is they also acquired a couple second round picks in the year twenty twenty three. So we are starting to see. What, you know, bringing in um, Rose, bringing in Thibodeau, you know, the changing of the guard in the front office and the decision making for the New York Knicks. They're kind of running a more modern style front office, which is something that I think they have not done in, what, 15, 20 years. Like you're talking a long time where it wasn't just a guy who was like, oh, I was one of the greatest coaches of all time. I know how to run. (laughs) You know what I'm being? Or, hey, I've been in the NBA for a long time holding a job in other places. Let me make basketball decisions. You know, like, let's be honest. Phil Jackson was trying to get himself fired by the end of his time there. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. Like, he was never even there. You know, he wanted to be in California with with his young, hot girlfriend or Montana, you know, right or wherever, just pay it, peyote and exactly riding in the prairie and, you know, all that Buddhism stuff, (laughs) but he was ready to retire for sure. But back to the Knicks, right? Like they, they brought in an agent 
you know, to run things and, you know, having these ties and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Obi Toppin is a shared, what I think is so, a part yeah. of that CA agency, mm -hmm. right? So he fell to them and it was like, yeah, we, one, he's talented Two, We know the kid, right? So there's that when you know a player, it makes things a lot easier, especially if you believe in his talent, mm -hmm. right? So it just, to me, all these moves that I see the Knicks making, like it makes me happy for guys that are network, right? Like guys like Edgar, mm -hmm. guys like Chris, guys like you know Coach Fa, all these Knicks it's, fans that we have in our yeah. In our, in it's, our group. it's nice to see them finally take a step back and say, okay, great, we're New York, we can open up all this cap space. We should be a, a free agent destination, but it hasn't worked. Yeah. And they've they've spent the last ten years or seven or eight years trying to go from really bad to really good with a couple of signings, and that's just really not the way to do it in, mm. in professional sports of any kind. Really, we've seen lots of in you know in baseball and in, in you know with 76ers in Philadelphia. You know, a lot of times you've got to build it organically over a few years, and I think finally they have a, a front office that's going to be around long enough to do that. Yeah, you know, and. I think the the whole agent becoming a GM thing is going to be the wave of the future. It's worked for the Lakers. It seems like it's working for them. You know, they they know the game. They know the players. And, you know, they have relationships with a lot of these guys. And, and so far, it seems like it's worked pretty good. So, yeah, you know, I'm excited I mean, to see it. Yeah, I mean, what's what's the saying? It's not what you know, but who you know. Right. And, and I think that that's working out well for, for the Knicks, like I said, mm -hmm. because we – we're seeing front, you know, we're seeing front offices like the Boston Celtics, like the New Orleans Pelicans, like the Oklahoma City Thunder acquire all these picks and things like that. Oh, and then let's look at Detroit Pistons. They they brought in, you know, Troy Weaver, who, you know, little known fact, he was a part of the front office for the Oklahoma City Thunder. What do we see him doing now? Acquiring picks, acquiring right. future first round picks. And it's like, oh, okay, you learned a little bit from Sam Presti, right? So mm -hmm. it's interesting to see. Teams like the Knicks, who I, you know, my morning after reaction to the draft is like the Kings, the Knicks, and the Pistons, you know, were all win were all winners in the draft. Like, when is the mm -hmm. last time that we could say good job to all of those franchises in right. in the same draft? Well, you know, they all kind of have new front offices, you know, at least within the last year or two, they've all kind of changed over you know, who's in charge there. So maybe, maybe it'll finally kind of switch because it, it only goes so long that teams stay bad and eventually, you know, something, something's got to give for them and they'll, they turn it around. So hopefully for those teams that they do, you know, I think like you said, they all, you know, had a pretty good draft. Uh, you brought up the Kings. I, I wanted to kind of branch off from the draft a little bit and talk about okay. this, the, um, the Bogdanovich thing going on. Yeah. It's so really weird, sign it? a sign and trade that was supposedly agreed upon, but then Bogdanovich said he never agreed to go to Milwaukee and nixed the deal and is going to become a free agent. Um, to be totally honest, even with that trade, I didn't, didn't think that the bucks got enough for mortgaging their entire future to keep Giannis around it yeah. sounded like he was going to sign his supermax deal but that doesn't necessarily mean he was going to stay for sure and you know it's just if this has got to be their like nightmare scenario because they gave up three picks for drew holiday and drew holiday's good but three first round picks and a couple and, of pick swaps and two pick swaps yes sir is in, i mean is insane that's like the same thing that the clippers gave up for paul george knowing that Kawhi leonard was coming with it was yeah. very um it, it reminded a lot of people and i saw the shirt on twitter you know from what the lakers gave up for anthony davis mm -hmm. 
It was very reminiscent of that. So now if I'm Giannis, I'm looking at the the Bucks roster and saying, okay, we had a little, we, we, we made a little bit of an upgrade at point guard. And even if we had gotten Bogdanovich, yeah, we added another great knockdown shooter who who's going to help. But I'm looking around and seeing a team full of complimentary pieces without a, a real second superstar and no future picks. And then one of the teams that he's been most linked to down in Miami has has their picks, has cap space, has the, some of the best young talent in the NBA, and, and I don't know why he wouldn't want to go there. You know, I almost think it, it made the decision to leave even easier for him. Yeah, it's really I, weird. And one thing I want to bring up, a couple things actually. One, I saw that the Bucks waived Ersan Ilyasova, who was a part of that deal to bring in Bogdan Bogdanovich. They mm-hmm. paired him with uh, Dante DiVincenzo, who is, you know, the big name in that deal. And then yep. also um, DJ Wilson, who's kind of, you know, uh, didn't really, we'll just say didn't work out in Milwaukee mm-hmm. out of Wisconsin. So um, they got rid of Ursan Ilyasova. But I would want to, I do want to remind everybody that the Kings do have Bogdan as a restricted free agent. So mm-hmm. although he may want to sign somewhere else, they can match that deal. So it's not, impossible for that deal to work out just with different names or and or picks attached to that to send Bogdan over to Milwaukee now right go ahead no I was just gonna say uh, you know this is not the first time that uh, an international player has kind of made it known that he didn't want to go to Milwaukee um do you remember E.G. on Leon that was one of the supposed to be one of the top picks Mm -hmm. he uh he came out before the draft and said that he might not even come to the NBA if he got picked by Milwaukee. And they cited not having a, you know, a very international uh, population of people there. Mm. And it's just, you know, that was kind of something interesting that made me think, you know, why do these people, why do these guys that are international players seem to seem to not like uh, going the idea of going to Milwaukee, but it was just something I was Well, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a, you know, big secret that, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, uh, as far as, you know, demographics go, well, not only that, but if you're looking at just like the demographics, you know, the civilians and stuff there that uh, I I don't want to get off on a tangent here. Right. But I mean, even the events that happened this year, right in in Wisconsin um, wasn't too far away from Milwaukee. And and that was the factor that I wrote about in an article on Giannis um, on off the ball network dot com. about which way does he go? And I thought one of the contributing factors, even if it's the tiniest reason, you know, the events that happen in Wisconsin has to be in the back of his mind, especially as a new dad, mm-hmm. you know? So I look had at those that issues with the police department and Sterling Brown too, you know, that doesn't yeah. help. Yeah. And then you look at a place like at Miami who, you know, very um, diverse demographic, um, a little bit more fun of a nightlife. I would imagine compared to Milwaukee, right. Wisconsin year round, uh, it, all of those things contribute into it. You can even look at Dallas, Texas, a little bit more mm-hmm. of a international flavor there. Obviously, Golden State has oh. a you know pretty inter- international demographic there. Well, Dallas's entire team seems like they're international. So <laughs> correct, they must then, like it there. Yeah, and then Toronto, obviously, being in a different country, you know, we don't need to get into that, right? So, um, right. I do think though, going back to the point that I was just bringing up, the Kings could still keep, even though that they, they drafted well in this draft and they got a couple of good really wing players that I think that they're going to look to try to develop. They could keep Bogdan on a restricted deal and then ship him out and they could, maybe they couple one of these new draft picks now, you know what I mean? And maybe that makes the deal a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So 
it it'll be interesting to see but i like you mentioned that there that there's not a lot of big name like that hasn't stopped milwaukee from being the number one seed a couple years in a row without a true superstar and i think adding a drew holiday and a bogdan bogdanovich they're a little bit more of a contemporary offense that you know coach bud has not ran in his time in in milwaukee i think that it could actually be one of the better bucks teams that Giannis has played with but it may not be a number one seed again, especially with how strong the East is getting. Right. Well, I'll 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 go as far as to say this: unless Bud changes the way he coaches that team, if Giannis stays in Milwaukee and Mike Budenholzer towards the coach, he's never going to win an NBA title. I'll say that right now. Mm. I, I don't think I don't think the way the team's constructed, the the way they play, you know, kind of just one style and that's all they've got. You know, he could develop a three. He could develop a mid-range jumper and be the greatest ever. And he, I just don't I don't see a path where they're good enough to beat, you know, the Nets or the Lakers or, you know, the Warriors if they were healthy was one that I was expecting to be pretty good. Yeah. But I just think right now the NBA is is so deep with so many teams that could you know, make it to the finals and win the title. Milwaukee doesn't scare me. They still don't. Even with Drew Holiday, even with Bogdanovich, they they don't seem like they're a threat to to beat, you know, the Nets if, you know, unless they just beat themselves or, you know, Miami, you know. So I just, I don't think Giannis, if Giannis stays, I think he'll go down as the best player in NBA history to not have a title. So surpassing a a couple of really big names there on on that list. So I just want to point out that that's a, that's high praise, right? High praise. I mean, I think, you know, statistically the way his career is going, he's, he's going to end up at the top of a lot of, you know, career leaderboards Mm. and he's going to win a lot of awards. That's, that's, you know, you know, foregone conclusion. I think I just don't, I don't think that for one, I think he needs another, like a Batman and he needs to take the Robin role when it comes to the playoffs, unless he just completely develops a great perimeter game in the next year or two. I just don't see a way that he's ever going to be able to be the guy that handles the ball all the time and takes all the last second shots. And they rely on him to do everything like that. Um, You know, just the way his game is, I think they already put too much on him. I think he'd be, you know, a little bit more, better used if he didn't always bring the ball down the court. It just, it kind of makes them one dimensional. Um, and I just, I, I don't, I don't see where they're going with the roster that they have. They're going to be a really good team. I'll give you that. They're going to be a really good team. I'm not saying I'm not going to be good. I just don't, <laughs> right. this, I just don't think this, this, these trades or these moves really move the needle enough to make them a championship team. Do you think now we brought up him potentially going to Miami and Mm -hmm. rumor has it that if he is going to Miami, that deal will also include a, uh, a a Tyler hero. We talked about, you know, what that means in the future, right. With uh, them having to, you know, they're losing out on a guy they have restricted, you know, free agency rights on. They won't have those same types of bird rights on a Duncan Robinson or a Kendrick Mm -hmm. Nunn, Right. So you're sacrificing a lot of your roster to bring him in. And we talked about how congested that team would be in the paint, right? Without the lack of shooting eventually, maybe not year one, but year two, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, 
unless they were to bring in guys on the mid-level, which could very well happen. But let's just say, for instance, right, they trade away Tyler Hero, they get rid of Dun- like they can't afford to keep Duncan Robinson and pay all three right. of those guys the way that they are. It, it j- just won't happen. Someone will give him a a, a Kyle Korver or a J.J. Redick. I, yeah. I was actually just hearing that uh, an anonymous NBA GM said they expect him to command 18 to $20 million on his next contract. It, it, that's so exactly my point, which is... They're not going to be able to afford him. That's going to be more than double of the mid-level exception, mm-hmm. which is probably right. the only other way that they could keep him, right? So um, they're not going to have Duncan Robinson. They won't have Tyler Hero if they trade him. They certainly won't have Kendrick Nunn either. It's going to be really congested in the paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, again, Jimmy Butler, by that point, two seasons from now, will be significantly older. How mm-hmm. effective will he be? And Bam Adebayo and Giannis aren't great creators for other people without shooting around them. Right. I think that they would certainly be the more talented team in Miami. Not going to mm-hmm. deny that at all. I think bit-wise, though, if you surround Giannis with Holiday and with Bogdanovich, and with Chris Middleton, and with Brooke Lopez, you could still certainly be formidable on both sides of the ball. Bitwise, I think it works. At the yeah, end of the day, I, though, it does take stars to beat stars, and that's where I think Miami would have the... It, you, you make that deal, and you just figure it out later. I mean, I would trust Eric Spolstra to take that kind of talent and figure it out, You know, wouldn't you? You know, I, I, I think amassing as much talent as you can is is the best way to go in the NBA. And, you know, if you can't get a bunch of superstars, you try to get a bunch of draft picks and draft a bunch of superstars, you know. So one way or the other, everybody's trying to acquire assets to get as much talent as they can. And, you know, whichever way you choose to go about it, Miami's proven to be one of those franchises that always pulls a rabbit out of their hat when you think they don't have a move. Um, you know, and Giannis will be a free agent next year if he doesn't sign an extension. So he could just go there. They do have cap space. Yeah. So you know, they've they already have- asked him to hold off on his extension mm-hmm. to where they could. They, they wouldn't have to trade trade for him if they just waited another year. And, you know, Duncan Robinson is one of the best knockdown shooters in the NBA, and he's been great for him. But I, I think they can, you know, at least piece together a, a couple, you know, veterans or young young guys, you know, on on lower contracts that can kind of make up for that. To an extent, I mean, they're not going to be completely, you know, as good as he is. But you know, I don't. I could see a world where they have Tyler Hero and Giannis and you know, whoever the point guard is at the time. Maybe Kendrick Nunn. Maybe Tyler Hero is the point guard. I don't think it's going to be Dragic, but you know, it might be. And Jimmy Butler, yeah, he'll be a little bit older, but he's not an old man. And you know, with Bam's. Bam's obviously going to be there. So, you know, I could see them having a, a really formidable team, but I agree with you that I don't know that it's the best, you know, fit wise for him to go there. I'd like to see him go to Dallas. I do that. Uh, one, Kristaps would have to, you know, figure out a way to stay healthy, dadgummit, because he's yeah. going to miss like all of December basketball and into January basketball. And yeah. they did draft and trade well. They added Josh Richardson. You know, they got Tyrell Terry in the draft. They did. Mm-hmm. They got Tyler Bay from Colorado in the draft. So, mm-hmm. you know, they got some of the the better names um, that were projected to go higher on some people board. I'm not a big Tyler Bay fan. I'm not a big Tyrell mm-hmm. Terry fan, but mm-hmm. I get the intrigue. I just right. I had certain prospects rated higher and mm-hmm. there was a lot of that in this draft for me. But, you know, if those work out, Dallas is still going to be a good, a good team with young talent and they can just bring in a Giannis in free agency and have good young talent 
and be a whole lot of international flair. I think that's where I would love to see him go, especially with, you know, how taxes and things like that work in Dallas too, compared to a Miami, Florida. So there's a lot of intrigue and upside for that. Obviously Toronto is a great owner. Everybody likes playing for him. You know, he's one of the most innovative guys in the league. And, you know, also I think it would be great for him to be on a team with a, a, a point guard. That's not going to let him bring, they're not going to have Giannis bringing the ball down like the bucks are, you know, he's not going to have to do all that heavy lifting and have that ridiculous usage rate. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost think that's why, you know, a Russell Westbrook and him combination might work because Russell Westbrook wants that usage rate. He wants to do all the heavy lifting and, you know, Giannis kind of needs somebody to do that. I think I, I don't, I just don't like him being the the guy that brings the ball down all the time, initiating the offense because it usually ends up with him putting his head down and driving, you know, through a guy and getting an offensive foul or, or dunking it on him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's shown time, you know, two times now that it's, it's not probably going to work in the playoffs. And we saw when he got hurt, their offense ran so much smoother through Chris Middleton. It was, it was crazy. You know, they it looked the more like so a, yeah, a typical offense. It wasn't just like you know, a one in four out. Yeah. There's something about Giannis being so dominant and so good that everybody on the court just kind of stands there and expects him to take over, you know? And mm-hmm. I just think, the best usage for him is with somebody like a Luka Doncic where he doesn't have the ball all the time. Yeah. And I, I mean the pick and roll scenarios between a, a, a Giannis and Luka with a KP in the corner, a uh, Giannis KP pick and roll with Luka standing outside, you know, like it, it's, in, it's incredible pin mm-hmm. downs, you know, um, flex route, you know, or flex patterns, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, a lot of yeah. stuff you could do with that. Right. And, they definitely have a lot of options. I just, I worry about Porzingis, you know, when I think about him, it brings up nightmares of guys like Bill Walton and, and Greg Oden and Sam Bowie guys, big guys, big guys that are that, that big that have, you know, knee problems or foot problems or back problems. They just, it, it's, they don't ever get over it. Really. It just kind of gets, these injuries may follow him his whole career. I hope they don't. But um, oh no, I, they would just they would only have Luca and Giannis, right? Or, I, yeah, you know, two of the best, you know, twenty five and under, twenty six and under guys in the league, two of the top ten talents, you know, maybe right. even top five, maybe even top five. We right. could get into that at another time, yeah. right? So you know, there's a lot of interesting options for for Giannis. I just I don't think if he wants if winning titles is his number one thing, I don't know if, if Milwaukee's the place he's going to do it. I don't think it is. Yeah, it it would definitely be the harder road. They have already strapped themselves with money. Um, mm-hmm. They have already picks. gotten rid of picks. Uh, it the the guys that they have around Giannis, it it, it is up to Giannis. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like and and like you said, you know, maybe him being kind of a one B, a la, you know, maybe like a LeBron James, Anthony Davis. You know, where mm-hmm. Anthony Davis is still one of the best players in the NBA. But, you know, it is awful nice to have a guy who's a ball handler be mm-hmm. able to facilitate an offense, right? Think about how nice it is in, you know, the last couple minutes of a tight game in the fourth quarter when you don't have to sit there and think to yourself, God, I got to do something or we're not going to win. Like yeah. you can rely on somebody else to kind of, you know, the pressure just is is not nearly as much. Just it's we have to do. We have to do right. something so we right. can win, right? Like. Mm-hmm. 
Anthony Davis is still involved in those winning plays, whether it be an offensive rebound and put back, whether it be, you know, a pick and roll and him cutting hard to the basket or popping out for an open shot. Like there's a lot of ways that Anthony Davis is still involved in mm-hmm. the winning play without mm-hmm. having to be in an isolation type situation. Right. Without it being, you know, in the huddle in the last second shot, they just look at Anthony Davis and say, all right, go make a play for us. You know, go they, stand on the other side of the court all by mm-hmm. yourself. We'll be over here kind of spread right. out if you want to kick the ball out, but we'd prefer you just to go ahead and try and, to make something you know, happen. Let's be honest. NBA stars have egos, big egos. You know, they, if they don't trust everybody on their team to, to be in those situations and perform. So mm-hmm. just the ability to say to yourself, you know, I know this guy can do it too is, is gotta be a, a, a big help for anybody. And yeah. I just, you know, some guys like Russell Westbrook and probably James Harden seem content to just, you know, do everything and have this super high usage rate and get their stats. But, you know, winning, but I heard a good saying, the difference between a, a, a good team and a championship team is sacrifice. Absolutely. And, you know, guys have to sacrifice a little Knowing bit. Knowing their role. Right. For the team, you know. People don't talk about it enough, but guys like Chris Bosh and, and Kevin Love doing what they did, becoming the third wheel, you know, of a championship roster when they were like bona fide stars on their teams. You know, that's hard to do. You know, Chris Bosh was a, a, a perennial all-star top 10 scorer in the league and, all NBA spent, level talent, yeah. and spent three or four years in Miami getting made fun of by everybody. You know, but and he what he won two rings. So you know, if that's what's more important to you, then that's what you got to kind of do. Yeah, he became more famous for you know sliding in and out of interviews around, you know, Mm -hmm. his guys and stuff like that. So being compared to a velociraptor. Yeah, I mean, how perfect was that that he was a raptor, right? So right. (laughs) But yeah, um, Austin, I just I think that we have covered a, a good amount of the news. We could certainly fall into the the rabbit hole of something that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, what do you think about James Harden? Is he a right. Brooklyn Netter or a Philadelphia 76er? I um, do think, uh, you know, one thing I just want to point out real quick for everybody is, you know, Daryl Morey's already kind of at it. You know, he's been what? He's been the president for a, a couple weeks and suddenly they got a couple guys that can shoot when they didn't mm-hmm. have any shooters and he cleared $10 million in cap space kind of mm-hmm. overnight. So. Oh, and he got a couple of draft picks too, I want to mm-hmm. say too, right? right. So. And then, too, just the other one I wanted to touch on just real fast is what, how in the world did Oklahoma City pull that off with Danny Green? I mean, they turned him into so much draft capital. It was unreal. They turned him into a first and a second, and they got Al Horford for a shovel. And the funny yeah. thing, I wrote about this on the article that we have, that transaction mm-hmm. article on offtheballnetwork.com, um, where the beautiful thing about the way that Al Horford's ridiculous contract is set up is that every year that goes by, it declines by a half a million dollars. So it's $27.5 million now. Next season, it'll be 27 Then the season after that, it'll be 26 and a half. With all these picks, and you know, it's almost every year that there's some superstar that wants to get out an expiring $26 million makes makes a trade for a superstar pretty doable and having right. extra draft picks, you know, makes a, a, a trade pretty doable. Right. So even looking at the, the, the macro instead of the micro with the way that Oklahoma city is doing this, right? Like getting a declining contract every season. Oh, and Horford may still be a pretty daggum good player. Maybe it was right. the system, I was just going right? to say, you know, he's not a bum either. I mean, he's he's kind of perfect for what they want. He's not going to be good enough to, you know, ruin their plans of a rebuild where they want to, you know, make those picks more valuable. But he's he eats up a lot of cap space that they needed to fill, you mm-hmm. know, and, and he is a, a, a 
you know, a pro, you know, he's a legitimate NBA pro. And he's, he's selfless gonna- too. He He's not like one of these guys. that's like, I have a max contract. I need the offense to run through me. Like right. he, he makes plays for other people. You know, he sets mm-hmm. screens, he rebounds, he plays defense. You know, he does win. Right. He plays winning basketball. Right. I think he'll be a good locker room presence for a, a team that's obviously trying to get really, really young. And they're going to be pretty young in the in the near future here. How funny do you think conversations between Al Horford and Alexei Pokachevsky are going to be? I don't know. <laughs> we'll I, would, I, I can't wait to watch Horford back down Alexei in practice. Mm-hmm. It's going to be right. funny because Alexi is like eight feet tall. Yeah, he's like eight feet tall, 90 pounds, you know, soaking right. wet. Like you can break him in half if you stare at him too hard. Oh, and Steven Adams, I'm sure, is going to have fun with him oh, too, right. mate. Yeah. Right. It could be a fun a fun little team they have there. They're not probably going to be con- in contention for much, but you they know, need to have get- some sort of like, a, what's the NFL show that they have before every season where they hard knocks hard knock. They need to have some sort of like Oklahoma City hard knocks mm-hmm. where there's just everyone making fun of Alexei Pokusevsky's weight. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I don't remember who said it, but I, I heard on saw on Twitter the other day. The Oklahoma City Thunder almost have so many picks that you could take a guy off the street that doesn't know anything about basketball and and he's going to hit on at least one of them. Yeah. And so, you know, they're <laughs> almost guaranteed to get a, a, a pretty big time star in, in one of these upcoming drafts. So I have what, like 17 picks now? I've um, lost track. I haven't sat down and looked at every single deal that they've made yet. I'm going to do that probably tonight and into crazy. tomorrow when I keep that running transaction article up to date. I'll have a more concrete answer for you then. But, um, yeah, I, between them and the Pelicans, I think that, you know, every draft is going to alternate between, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder select, the New Orleans Pelicans select, you know. Yeah, the Pelicans have a lot of picks, too. Spr- start sprinkling in the Pistons because they're moving people and getting trade assets. So I'll tell you what, you know, I I I like the, the Pelicans. I wouldn't be surprised if in a, a couple years they're not a, a, a free agent destination because they're going to have a lot of picks. I think guys are going to want to come play with Zion Brandon, you know, I, mm-hmm. yeah. they're they're going to be you know they're set up to be really good for a long time. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, and by the way, they do have George Hill, who a team could look at yep. at I his contract number and say he's going to help us win a ring. And here's a first round pick later for your troubles. Right. Oh, and and Drew and and I almost said Drew Bledsoe. Wow, wrong sport. Uh, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, although he is easy to make fun of. For his playoff, you know, blunders and stuff mm-hmm. like that, he's still a good defender. Yeah. He's still a terrific athlete. Mm-hmm. He's at his contract value, which I want to say is less than twenty million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Which, if so. James, if James mm-hmm. Harden is turning down fifty million dollars, Eric mm-hmm. Bledsoe is certainly worth eighteen to twenty million. Right. Nick Batum just opted into twenty-seven million dollars, and he doesn't even really play. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's like some Lou Aldang stuff for there for mm-hmm. you. Laker fans, right? Right. So, oh. <laughs> Timothy Mosca. But anyway, um, with with all of that being said, you know these younger teams. It's going to be. I have a close eye on Detroit. For anybody who wants to like look at and say who who's the team that should I pay attention to for the next three four seasons? Look at Detroit because they still have their stars and Blake Griffin. I say stars, maybe loosely right now, right? But Blake Griffin. And and Derek Rose, they still have. Uh, if Blake Griffin comes back from the, from his injury, anything like he was before, he's a he's an NBA like he's a superstar. He's terrific. You know, he had one of the best seasons he's ever had before he got hurt. It just remains to be seen if he's going to be healthy. 
And then Derrick Rose, who was a lot of people's six man of the year candidate on a reasonable like seven to eight million dollar contract, uh, awfully mm-hmm. gettable, right? So, right. Um, it coming out of that Oklahoma City, you know, front office organization where you know we we move players and get draft picks and we sign superstars at some point. Detroit might it might end up being because they did draft Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, and um, Sadiq Bay. Three really good prospects. I'm high on two of them. I'm not a big Isaiah Stewart guy. I had him as an early second. I but like I said, I get the intrigue of him, right? Um, but Killian Hayes, I had him in my top ten, and then um, Sadiq Bay, I had him in my top fifteen. So yeah, I knew you were not, pretty high on, on Sadiq Bay, and I like his game too for sure. I can't believe he fell to nineteen. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Austin. Um, Good for I, them. Absolutely, I think that. I hate uh, to say it. I hate to say it, but I think the NBA league offices are, should be worried about the, all these teams amassing all these draft picks and and selling off all their players. I think they got. I think they didn't really like what the 76ers did, and I think teams are starting to copy it, and they don't want teams to be bad. Obviously, so it might end up becoming a little bit of a problem if if it keeps going this way but it it is a it is probably the easiest way to build a bad team into a good team so well what would you have them do because they already introduced the stipend rule which uh prevents teams from trading and we saw this after the the Boston Celtics got that coup of draft picks from the mm-hmm. the Brooklyn Nets right um they've already introduced things like the stipend rule mm-hmm. which prevents teams from co- trading consecutive first round picks that mm-hmm. belong to them. They can like, if they get it, like that's why the golden state warriors could trade their pick this season. And then the, their pick next year, right? Because it didn't belong to them. It belonged to the mm-hmm. wolves. So they right. can do stuff like that. Um, they already, they've already fluctuated the draft odds. So even if you are the worst team in basketball, you know, the fifth worst team or the sixth worst team could still end up with the number one draft pick. Like what else do you do to kind of prevent something like this from happening. I don't know what you do. You know, I think Adam Silver, that's why he's, you know, the commissioner. I think he'll come up with something if he needs to. But honestly, I I don't think they should try to do anything about it. I I feel like they, the front office pressured the 76ers to get rid of... um, Colangelo? No, before Colangelo. Oh, um... You're putting me on the spot. Yeah, that that guy. That guy. Um, No, I don't remember his name, but you guys know who we're talking about. The guy that, you know, basically... Oh, did I lose you? I think I hey. lost. Are you there? Hey, hey, you kind of, hey, there he is. Yeah, everything blinked out for a minute. No, I was just gonna. I was just saying. I feel like, uh, you know, the the GM that the 76ers had was, you know, publicly spoke about wanting to be as bad as possible to to get the top pick as often as they could, and I think that's why you know, the NBA kind of stepped in and put Colangelo there. I mean, he wasn't obviously the guy I would pick. He didn't do much better, but I think they got scared at the idea that teams were going to start copying that. But I just think they should just let it go how and let teams do their assets, what they want to do. Sam Hinky. Sam Hinky. Thank you. Yes. I think he was on track to turn the 76ers. If he was still there, I think the 76ers would be in a lot better position than they are now. Just because, you know, they, yeah, they they missed some pretty high picks, but if any time you can get a guy like Embiid and a guy like Simmons, you know, I would say that the process overall would have been more of a success if they had if that hadn't happened. But I do think it was a success, and I I think the league should kind of leave teams to to run themselves however they choose. 
Okay. Well, I, I I may have misunderstood what you said. I thought that you were saying that the league needs to step in and stop this. From they, I think they I think that they think they might have to. I, I personally like you're it. Putting yourself because, in their shoes and you're not happy right now with right. You know, teams. Right. I think I think Adam Silver is probably worried about that becoming too much of a trend. Where you know, at some point, you know, if it gets out of hand, eight or nine teams are actively not trying to win games. It's not good financially for the league but it i just think it's you know i think the team should be allowed to do use their assets however they want i think i think you could argue that either way i, I certainly see where what you're saying but mm-hmm. i also think like you know you don't want to keep a team together that you know isn't gonna compete right. well you know well mm-hmm. enough right and that equally hurts fan interest as well mm-hmm. right like right. how, what, what's another way that you can keep fans interested? You know, you can keep fans interested with the hope that you draft a Golden mm-hmm. State Warriors rotation or an Oklahoma new City. young star we have mm-hmm. every yep. year. <laughs> yep. Look, know, at all, I, look at all these draft picks we have and look at bo- the Boston Celtics, you know, right? with you know, I think the, the, rise, of, the and, rise of analytics is definitely partially to, to blame for that because I think, yeah. you know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, fans were kind of, you know, casual fans were kind of content with their team, you know, making the playoffs every year, but not really competing, be kind of middle of the road. Now yeah. they can quantify everything and say, hey, if we want to win a championship, we can't do this anymore. And this is the way to yeah. do it. And just, there's so much more information. So. And we've gotten lazy, too, with our takes on basketball. You know, the conversation always ends up coming back to how many rings does he have? Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you're comparing great players, like, at some point, though, like we we could talk about that at nauseum. That's a whole another right. show. But um, I would argue, though, however, that acquiring those picks one, it keeps fans optimistic for the future, and then two, it it keeps a star from being in one spot and one being unhappy, which no fan wants to see a star be unhappy in their uniform, right? Like it's just disrespectful right. to to a lot of folks, right? And then you end up forming these teams that are really fun to watch for the casual fan, which the NBA is always trying to reach out to the casual fan. Like, how do we, how do we make the game more appealing for, mm-hmm. you know, not just us, but like our wives, how right. can we get the guys wives to want to come mm-hmm. in and watch a basketball game? Oh, let's right. put James Harden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in a soap opera that mm-hmm. they just so happen to play in the NBA as well. Right. Like right. let's, let's try that. We're going to mic one of them up every game for the entire season, <laughs> and just, you know, put it on national TV as much as possible. Well, you even know, the it, bad teams too, what we were just saying too, with Oklahoma city, like how cool would it be for Al Horford and Steven Adams to like, you know, be like mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the bash brothers from mighty ducks, just right? going up to Alexi Pokachevsky and putting them in a trash can and tipping them mm-hmm. over. You there know, you go. That would yeah. be funny. Yeah, right. And you know, think about like Oklahoma City. They could legitimately make three trades and give up three first round picks in each trade to get us like how you know what seems to be the the recipe to get a guy that's a mm-hmm. you know a star now is you trade three or four picks for him. They could do that like three times and get good overnight. Really, if if yeah. you know, if and include pick Yeah, mm-hmm. and they'd still have they'd still have picks. So you yeah. know. I, I think, you know, whatever teams want to do, however they want to build and go forward, I think is the best for the league in general. You know, like you said, constant change is an easy way to keep people interested. Yeah, people get bored. Even with even with the team like the Golden State Warriors, everyone's like, all right, this is getting boring. We know they're right. Everybody win. was let's, ready to break them up. Let's start creating a narrative that, you know, mm-hmm. that actually turned into be something true. Like they're 
what's the quickest way to break up a really good team? Let's make them not like each other. You know, let's say, oh, is Kevin Durant or Steph Curry the better player on this team? And start creating that, you know, a little bit of friction that probably wasn't there when everything was all fresh, new and exciting for both of those guys. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Austin, I just I want to I want to go ahead and wrap a bow on this. We've been in this for an hour and a half. Um, We got I know that you got a lot of stuff that you're working on right now for the for the network. I got Mm -hmm. some stuff that I got to catch up on as far as the articles and stuff. And we a great show that I can't wait for that. uh, We've had Lee uh, Lee Branscombe from um, Hoops Prospects and from the Witch Carolina podcast. He was on our show before, right before the draft. We talked about, you know, can't miss guys who, you know, don't buy the hypes and who our biggest sleepers are going to be. We're going to have him back on this Sunday in our kind of a running segment where we're going to give draft grades out to each NBA team and how we project that each one of them did. So uh, I got to come correct because I know that Lee is on his stuff, right? So uh, right. we'll, we'll wrap up ball on the show, man. I need to get to work on that as well. So <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But Austin, I alluded that we got a lot of stuff in the works, man. What what uh, what do you got for the people? Just kind of um, keep their uh, palate wet. Well, I'm still work doing the fantasy football stuff. I actually just posted an article. I think it posted yesterday or I may not have done it till this morning. I don't it kind of all runs together. It was a, sure. a draft article about the best and worst draft picks for every NBA franchise. It was just a fun little thing that I, I thought was interesting to look at. You know, mm-hmm. there were some pretty big name guys that ended up being pretty bad, like, you know, Adam Morrison <laughs> and things like that. So it was interesting to see what could have been for teams that also, you know, traded away the rights to a, a Kobe Bryant or a Dirk Nowitzki, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it was interesting. It was fun to look at. Um, so I've got that that just went up. Um, I'm working on a, uh, like an opinion article about the Milwaukee Bucks and their whole, this whole thing with Bogdan and uh, Drew Holiday. And okay. Kind of just, kind of just what we talked about. So I won't go into too much detail with it, but I'm working on that. So that should be pretty good. All right, cool stuff. Yeah, and I already alluded to our um, Sunday episode that we're going to have. It's going to be it's going to be on, and um, we'll we'll have the times and all that stuff available for everybody in the near future, right? But um, it's it's going to be a good time. Like I said, we ha- we had Lee on before. He's a mm-hmm. he's a, not only a, f- a friend of our show, but a friend of our network as well. Right. So it's going to be year. a good time having him on. Well, um, actually, it's going to be at 6 p.m. Eastern time. I was looking that up while I was just you know, kind of buying some time. So 6 p.m. Sunday Thanks evening. For, good to know. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So yeah, and, I find uh, out this stuff. I find this stuff out the same time as you guys do. You know, you're Steven nobody runs, special. Steven <laughs> runs this thing and I just pretend like I know what I'm talking about. You're just along for the ride. Now, that's not true because you locked up the guests that we had on earlier today, which I don't oh, want to forget. That was cool. That was man, cool. Yeah. A uh, big shout out to to she- um, David Shepard. Just really yeah. appreciate him being on. I'm telling you what, if you if you liked what you heard from him today, go check out his YouTube. He's got some really thoughtful, great commentary on a lot of of issue you know issues surrounding sports. You know, with the the Milwaukee Bucks deciding not to play that game. He talked. He does a review of the the Last Dance documentary. That's pretty cool. You know, every every piece of content the guy puts out is very well thought out and you know he he put you can tell he puts a lot of work into it so you know go check that out for sure he obviously doesn't need any plugs from us he's seems like he's got enough on his plate but you know i just want to thank him again for coming on that was pretty cool i i, I was really excited when he agreed to come on in the first place 
Yeah, and that was a great time. And I just want to put out real quick, um, I have that running transaction article. It is currently not up to date, but it will be um, tomorrow at some point. Um, and not only not only are the trades and the transactions on there, but unlike what some of the other sites do where they, they try to reel you in to, to pay money to, to get the analysis and the trade mm-hmm. grades and stuff like that, or, you know, making you subscribe to certain things to be able to unlock the, you know, the access of the article. It's all on there. It's all include. It's all inclusive. Um, just go to the off the ball network.com. The link is scrolling there at the bottom of the screen. Yes, sir. And um, you can go there. You can have access to my analysis on the trade for both for both teams. You can get the trade grades and all included and you can stay current on all of the things that are going on in the NBA. Right, and, uh, man. That always gets me. I never, I always want to see the trade grades and it's always behind a paywall everywhere you look. It's like everywhere I can't get a look. single team's grade unless I, you know, pay this or pay that. And so I'm excited yeah. to check that out for sure. Yeah, that's all up there. And I, I got some catching up to do today. Uh, yeah. Unlike Woj and Shams and all those guys who do a phenomenal job, I have to go and do mm-hmm. other things too. I'm a you know dad of soon to be four, and I'm also in the Navy, so like I got stuff I got to do. But right. um, I do I, I do enjoy keeping it up today. I wonder sometimes if guys like that have a life outside of their job at all, or <laughs> if that's just all they do. I mean, I, 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 props I don't to know. them for doing it, but yeah, I mean because one, I'm sure that they're pretty pretty handsomely compensated right and then two um you know it it keeps us up to date which is what we try to do in return for all of you viewers and listeners that that you know give us any time and attention that we obviously greatly appreciate right austin oh definitely yeah you know just like with uh david coming on anybody that takes time out of their day to to listen to us talk about basketball you know we really appreciate it and so Thank you to everybody that supports the show, everybody that listens to the show, everybody that watches the show. Thanks to David. Thanks to you, Stephen. Thanks to everybody at Off the Ball Network. We're all, you know, everybody's great. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for this uh, episode here for the Breaking the Game podcast. For my co-host, Austin Carr, which you can find on Twitter at Austin Carr 10. You can follow me at Stephen BTG. You can follow the show at BTG NBA pod at Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Mm -hmm. for the off the ball network we just want to thank everybody for your love and support it's all appreciated it's not just lip service It, it it keeps us going it keeps us motivated thank you guys so much you guys have been awesome much love everybody have a good one